0: And welcome to the edition uh, weekly look at the worlds of digital media, tech, bit of culture. Today, I'm really thrilled because the person joining me writes not just one but two of my favourite Substack newsletters. Hello, Graham Ruddock. How are you?
1: Hello, I'm very well, thank you. So
0: you write off to lunch and a fantasy football weekly podcast uh, newsletter. I still can't sort out my scores and get ha- be better at fantasy football despite reading you religiously. Off to Lunch, though, is a business-focused newsletter, and you've got a sister podcast as well, which is coming back. with a fascinating interview with James Daunt from Daunt Books and Waterstones and all of that. You can tell us all about that in a minute. So, you, But you've also had a really fascinating career in the kind of mainstream media. You were at the Garden, you've been at the Times, all sorts of interesting places on some very interesting beats, including the media beat. Um, so why don't we kick off the episode by to you telling us about that?
1: Uh, about moving into to Substack or... or start, well, yeah, well, start off talking about. I mean, about you could with, give us some gossip newspaper. from The
0: Guardian and Times newsrooms if you want. I'm always up for that.
1: Uh, well, I'll talk, I'll talk about the newspapers first because I, I was 15 years... I started as a graduate of all places at The Telegraph. Right, And nice. uh, there, was, there was 10 of us and I, I was there for eight years and then went on to The Guardian and, and The Times and all very different newsrooms, as, as you can imagine. Mm. But I was lucky enough to work under... And I genuinely mean this, some fabulous editors, every single one of them. Um, Will Lewis, Tony Gallagher, uh, Cass Viner, uh, John Witherow, and then Tony again at, at, at The time, just now. And it's a very varied newsroom. As you say, it did business, uh, but also did media as well. So it was on the news desk at, at The Guardian. And, and The Guardian, the- we should
0: say, actually has a quite serious, always did have quite a serious media desk in and of itself. Yeah I unique. I took
1: that job I took that job when it was sort of in it was transitioning from a big team into a single role so I was very much part of the news team right. rather than being part of the media beat but that was an interesting job in itself because you instantly become someone who reports on your own industry and mm. your friends and your colleagues suddenly become your contacts as well and, it's and amazing the people you might
0: have to write sources stories well, about.
1: It's one of the most striking things about that job is the number of people who get in contact with you, and emails drop into your inbox, and you're genuinely like, "Whoa, okay, <laughs> yeah, I know that name, and <laughs> I know that name." Uh, people from all over the world getting in touch and saying congratulations and the coffee, and it, it's you know, that media beat at the Guardian really it, it was, is still uh, an institution, and it, and it was a lot of fun doing that doing that job um it was a relatively short period i did that job before i had the opportunity to over to the over to the times but reporting on your own industry is, is a challenge but it's also really really interesting because you meet lots more interesting people and as you know the media is a very very gossipy industry people want to gossip they want to know gossip they want to share gossip and there's some big organizations so the bbc took up an awful lot of time yes doing that job probably more than anything else and actually while I was doing that job it was the first year that uh the pay brackets were published uh so you got to see the salaries of all the um
0: the top the for the
1: first time so yeah we, we went to we went to broadcasting house we were locked in a room given the folder and, and you you were I can't remember how exactly the time scale but we basically had two hours before the dead the embargo lifted and, and we reported it and then we had a press conference with Tony Hall and it was yeah, it was fascinating. And and obviously, as you, you will remember, that, that whole story kicked off the row about gender pay inequality with yes. BBC. And it I think it was a
0: huge moment when you've seen Gary Lineker. What was it? A million? Was it a million? Yeah. At that point? And, and, and the match of the, of the big,
1: day. One of the big things about the story was working out who was and who wasn't on there. And it quickly became mm-hmm. apparent that some high profile names, largely women, it has to be said, were not on that list. So Emily Maitlis yes. was one. And
0: She was the big one that stood out to people, wasn't she? She? Was, she
1: was. She attracted a lot of the coverage that day. And it was very clear that a lot of people in the BBC were shocked about the disparity and shocked as, as to who was on it and who wasn't. And I think what you've seen it over the, the few years since then is the consequences of that decision play out. And, and obviously Emily Maitlis is one of the people who no longer works for the BBC, and there's a collection of other people who don't as well because they were at the other side of the story where they were paid a lot but were asked to reduce their pay. And in an environment where the BBC is having its budget cut as well, they've decided to go elsewhere. So yes. that was one of many fascinating stories. Yeah, uh, I've covered a lot.
0: Of, I've covered a lot of the addition, the goings on in the BBC newsroom, uh, including Emily Maitlis and John Sopel and company leaving for global. Most of the BBC seems to be at global now. Um, and obviously the ongoing. over the transition into one news channel and the people who are leading the presenting there so yes I mean you and I could could dive into what's going on at the BBC for a whole episode but uh, it's fascinating to hear what you've been up to and how have you found that transition from those big institutional organizations to causing trouble by yourself?
1: It's been so exciting it's flown by it'll be Uh, a year in in May, basically. And it's a balance between being a writer and a podcast host and also running your own startup, because that's effectively what it is. And I've learned so much on that side of things to the extent that the content, doesn't become an afterthought that would be an exaggeration but because it's the thing you've done naturally for the last 15 years that kind of falls into place but it's the other stuff it's it's the whole operation that goes in behind what you're doing so the marketing side of it the pure logistics the uh, arranging partnerships the the legal side of it the, the the production it's all that that goes into it and then obviously thinking about next stage and trying to think Short term and long term at the same time, just things that journalists are never used to. Because well, our, our,
0: let's be honest, Graham, journalists are not very good at things that involve organising money, business acumen, are we? As a general rule,
1: no, we're very short term focused. <laughs> I and mean, literally, we're trained from the day we start out that the next day is
0: the most important the focus.
1: Though. And then once we have finished what we did yesterday's bishop and chip paper and we have to move on. So we're very focused on that. There's a lot of journalists I know are hopelessly unorganized, as you say. So I, I have a good accountant, which is one of the most oh. important, <laughs> one of the most important things. Uh, I have a superb uh, podcast hopes which helps But then that, And that's it really. Apart from that, it's there's, there's no social sub- editors, no picture support. Uh, but yeah, thankfully so you have is... to
0: fix your own typos it's horrendous isn't
1: it yeah but there is more and more i mean we'll maybe come on to ai later but yeah. there is a whole load of technology out there that meet that is completely revolutionizing uh, how we do our work and our job and one of those is the ai technology that allows production and, and spelling and grammar and pictures and video which which kind of changes really what you can do and what you're capable of doing on your own
0: yeah it's making a huge impact across the board i know people that use ai images for their newsletters obviously there's very high quality spell checkers now and grammar checkers all those things yeah there's a lot well I'm always impressed that you put out what's it four four newsletters a week a couple for paid subscribers a couple for free subscribers yeah I think
1: it's I think it's four it's five if you include the the fantasy football one yes there's Uh, fantasy
0: game week as well which I do enjoy
1: yeah, so it's um.
0: I'll get tips off air, so I don't have to share them with anyone.
1: Thank you. I I feel like it's a bad advertisement for it that you said you're struggling. I you've got to pay more attention to what i are saying and right. recommending. I don't,
0: I don't obviously. Well, there's a whole. I'll discuss with you off air one of my stubbornnesses that costs me every single week, but any particularly this season. But anyway, yeah, loyalty
1: um, to Tottenham probably hasn't helped you.
0: Never through for thirty years of my life. Um, but let's talk about we discuss your personal uh story through the media industry but once again we seem to be in one of those cycles where there's a shake-up in the media industry you and I have seen these throughout our careers before our careers it happens periodically doesn't it but this one is not a particularly pleasant one to watch because we're just seeing layoffs across the board as someone who's worked at these big institutions and reported on them what's your perception of what's going on at the moment
1: I think what's going on is is what's happening in a lot of industries that are tech-focused, and that is industries and businesses invested and spent a lot of money on the presumption that trends that we saw during the COVID-19 crisis were here to stay. And those trends have unwound slightly. So we saw a huge uptick in a number of tech-focused sectors of online usage during covid whether that's online groceries whether it's peloton and working out at home whether it's netflix subscriptions a whole load of sectors saw exponential growth during lockdown and there was a presumption in those sectors and in those businesses that even if that growth didn't last at that pace it, that market share gain would remain in place and and it hasn't across the board you know those covid19 trends have unwound you're seeing businesses that have never seen year-on-year drops in sales, seeing year-on-year drops in sales because uh, everyone's gone back to, not entirely, but have largely gone back to how they were living their life before COVID-19 crisis. And that means a whole load of money was spent betting on trends that haven't played out that way. So Disney is one example, Yeah, invested heavily on streaming. Spotify invested heavily mm-hmm. in, in podcasting. But, you know, company-specific examples, I mentioned Peloton there. I mean, that that that's sort of the standout case. You know, they spent a lot of money on building new factories, on expanding their product range, all of a sudden finding out that everyone was going back to the gym. And it's, it, this is a story told across many sectors, and it's one that the media is, is feeling the consequences of as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are huge layoffs across the board, unfortunately. And a couple of the companies you mentioned are the ones that I really wanted to talk about. So, Disney. Uh, which at the recent uh, its recent earnings announced very significant layoffs. It's about, what was it, 6 7% of the workforce?
1: 7,000 uh, people. Yeah, yeah
0: 7,000 people, which was, some of it is to do with Bob Iger 2.0 and his restructuring, as I discussed with Tom Merritt in a recent episode. And some of it was, as you say, just because they needed to cut costs, pure and simple. Which, when you think of Disney, that's really not what you think of, is it? A company that needs to sort of... To, you know, look after the pennies and to make sure the pounds are okay. Uh, the other one you mentioned was Spotify, which laid off six percent of its workforce. Um, and you know, you'd have thought actually, of all the things that haven't changed pre or post pandemic, we want to find time like that. Podcasts are one of the things that have remained, thankfully, keep listening popular. Uh, but even that massive investment, the Joe Rogan ones. All or the original podcasts that Spotify got into, they've realized that even that's just not sustainable. You know, I read a really interesting story about Bill Simmons of The Ringer actually phoning the head of uh, content there who w- walked out the door actually as part of this um, restructuring. That's uh, Dawn Ostroff. She was the chief content officer and led the business advertising side as well and left as in this Spotify shakeup. Bill Simmons apparently emailed his boss dawn ostroff and was like no we can't just have podcasts just on spotify uh, that doesn't seem to have worked does it that trying to just be in the spotify world and limit where people can get those podcasts
1: no it doesn't and i think that's partly because people just don't behave like that anymore do they no. we've just become especially used... not with
0: podcasts that's not how anyone's ever listened to podcasts is it
1: no, and partly because your devices, people listen across different devices, and all the devices are set up in different ways, and you just don't listen to the same or use the same apps in the same ways on on your different devices. So it's it's kind of it's a fool's errand, really, to try and get people to dedicate themselves solely to to one to one platform. And it's the same it's same streaming, really, as well. I mean, it, all these services have invested heavily, and there is a realization that they're all eating out the same pie and there's that pie is uh got to be shared between everyone so disney i think you've written this as well they have disney plus is is got some great content on there yep. it's incredibly diverse it's got ranging from kids stuff to ranging to adult stuff to some of like your favorite tv series to some of your favorite films to sort of new content new content as well but they're battling with netflix they're battling with hbo they're battling with Sky here as well and there's a limit to how much time everyone have got to to watch these programs but I, I mean I find it interesting sometimes we just dive too deeply into the workings of these companies mm-hmm. rather than just look at the obvious particularly with Netflix when well, Netflix was had a sort of difficult period at the end of 2022 it was striking looking through their results figures and, and it it was just simply a quarter where their content just hadn't been as good as the previous quarter and we've got to remember yeah. sometimes with these companies i always think that they are driven primarily by the quality of their content so while the, there's a temptation to sort of talk about the call to the ceo and the strategic missteps and and how they're going to tweak the strategy moving forward ultimately these companies are driven by the quality of their content and you know netflix success as a sort of content house was driven by a house of cards primarily yeah. and then backed up with a series of bigger and bigger um unique series but it's the quality of those unique series that really made its made its name it wasn't the fact they did it and it's the same true with with disney and the same true with others it's the content that they will ultimately fall back on and i thought You've written this as well, but I thought one of the most interesting things that Bob Iger did was say that the company was going to turn back to some of its most reliable bits of content yeah. and make new versions of them. So, Toy Story, uh, Zootopia—I Zootopia. think yeah. there's a couple of other ones as well. Frozen.
0: How could you forget frozen, frozen? Of course,
1: sorry, Frozen. And in a sense, it's pretty sort of one-dimensional thinking. But it—it—it's they had content business. People enjoy that content. They want more. And it was an easy lever to pull for a business that wanted to show the power of of what it can offer.
0: Yeah, I find it a bit depressing, actually, that we've got from these companies being a bit bold and innovative. You know, that remake of House of Cards, not, you know, not knowing what happened to Kevin Spacey. So let's not put that to one side for the moment. That original season of House of Cards it's quite a bold exciting thing to watch. So I mean Orange and the Year Black was hugely bold when that first came out. And those were the things to my mind that really drove people initially to Netflix. Um we, you know we've seen some quite bold stuff from Apple TV plus. Uh Amazon's always had quite interesting things, whether it's the all or nothing documentaries or you know all sorts of things. Um, but yeah, it is all about content. And I hope that companies don't just play it safe because this is a bit of a difficult time. Uh, your point also about people you know cancelling subscriptions is a very well made one because i i've written about this before that actually there's data showing that people really don't mind chopping and changing it was always assumed wasn't it that kind of once you took out a subscription you were just there you weren't going to fiddle around with the direct debit and the, the the evidence is just not there that that's the case particularly for younger viewers you know that's why some of the big series on netflix have been you know stranger things they spread it out into two parts didn't they over two quarters so people had to stay there
1: yeah, that, that's actually been an interesting trend, hasn't it? I think over the last couple of years, that first Netflix loved the idea of binging, um, yeah, yeah, binging and dropping it, and it, it kind of it promoted itself on that basis. But all the channels have now, uh, largely certainly with their most high profile series, have gone back to sort of weekly weekly releases. You, you see it with The Last of Us and HBO, yeah, you see it with, I think that's what apple tv plus a punning to do with the new series of ted lasso yeah. and and have event... generally
0: done a lot of that you might get three episodes in a go but they've never really dropped the whole series yeah
1: and it kind of Season. if i was bbc ri tv it's basically a great advertisement for them and and mm-hmm. event tv and linear um channels still have that sort of everyone gets around the sofa to watch event tv and with social media that can become even more of a of an event and it's a few years ago, particularly when House of Cards was around. You know, that was sort of being written off as something that that would still be around, and here it is probably as, as strong as ever, as we've seen recently with with Happy Valley.
0: Yeah, Happy Valley. It was the UK police. Uh, well, it's kind of crime season, wasn't it? And I mean, I don't watch it. I've never. I haven't watched it, but I turned on social media that afternoon, the evening that the finale was on, and it was just everywhere. It's as close, you know, sports is the other one. Obviously, there's always event TV and we could discuss that in depth. But first, our sponsor, Collide, has some big news. If you're an Octa user, they can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How? If a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, device compliance. Without Collide... IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Visit slash the edition to learn more or book a demo. That's K O L I D E dot slash the edition. Thank you to Collide for sponsoring the show. In terms of this layoffs, it's not just happening to the tech focused streaming type companies look at what's happened at CNN there from November last year, there's been huge rounds of layoffs. It, so... we are in a divi-
1: we're in a difficult economic time, aren't we? And uh, the UK unemployment here in the UK is still, is still fairly low 3.7%, but you can see that job vacancies are are falling. Inflation is at more than 10% and companies can't afford to give people pay rises to match the rate of inflation. And, that rate of inflation is also putting pressure on subscription businesses and, and putting pressure on sales and all these things are coming together uh, to cause job losses. It's also, I mean, for some businesses, it's opportunistic as well. This is an opportunity. There are still, if you're a legacy media business, you need to find ways to invest in, in future digital projects. And you this is potentially an opportunity to sort of, pivot slightly and and shift investment around and it this is not broadly this is about the economic story but there are opportunistic uh shifts investment going on here as well
0: yeah and i think you might put what happened at cnn into that bracket because of course a large part of it was about the warner brothers discovery merger and you know attempts to slim down that new big company because they wanted about three billion in savings of that combined organization so you know that was uh quite as you say a bit opportunistic the opportunity was there the need to do it was there so yeah but even you know much smaller companies like vox media have had to cut people i don't want to be too depressing and only talk about well first of all we won't talk about cnn plus because that was just short-lived and very depressing but um i want to talk about kind of the positives of the media industry and perhaps someone like you starting their own business is one of the parts of that that is positive because in these shake-ups there's always innovation as well there's a lot of talented people walking around either looking for jobs or with nice severance packages with which they can start stuff
1: absolutely I mean these are the times where new businesses and innovation tends to thrive and emerge and I think if you take the media industry more broadly you know because of the internet more people are listening reading and watching than ever before and i was looking at ofcom data last year for sort of trends here in the uk and even among the younger generations more than 70 percent of people say they're reading the news regularly on the internet the incredible numbers the reach of most media businesses in the uk in, in terms of how many what percentage of the population looks at them every week is incredibly high across numerous brands and The quality is is as high, I would say, as it's ever been. Partly driven by competition, and not just across the UK but abroad as well. I I think of of my old, um, my old paper, The Times, and look at the great work they did a couple of weeks ago on on British Gas and exposing the fact that they were fitting prepayment meters into into people's homes and investigated. Yeah yeah by force and investigative journalism like that it is in- incredibly hard to pull off and and to do as well as that and and they did it and there's there's numerous sort of examples like that around uh at the moment it's just there's a lot of it there's a there's a lot of it and there's not enough um time in the day for people to to consume it all
0: to me that is the bigger and growing takeaway from what's going on at the moment as i watch the media industry i think niche things hopefully like you and I are making can be successful and hopefully are successful uh I think the big boys will always be the big boys one way or the other won't they they'll find a way to survive I think what's happening now is the kind of clickbaity nonsense in the middle is really losing its charm and it's losing the reader numbers maybe I'm being too positive but
1: no I don't think I, I think you are being rightly positive I think Quality content is is going to be as high valued as ever. I think, as you say, one of the great things about Substack is, is it's an opportunity to build communities, but it also promotes in particular niche content targeted specific groups. And that also is a great opportunity for local journalism as well, because it lowers the cost base of what is required and allows you to meet it allows you to get access to people quite straightforwardly but then going back to ai and clickbait if the future mm-hmm. of ai is that it just gets embedded into google and microsoft then that alone will have a significant ramification for the media industry because of clickbait because if you google in something like what time does these start on google no longer will you get a series of uh, headlines from publications chasing the click but you'll just get an answer from from um baird or you'll get on an some chat gpt just telling you now of course that's going to create all sorts of copyright issues and i think that is a battle to come in the future but it's also ultimately i think great news for journalism because it allows all the organizations and publications to focus on adding that value and focus on high quality content
0: yeah i should say i've worshipped the kind of what time does x and y start uh, normally about football matches and i think they actually do can have some value those articles if you're actually answering the question that people want and that's quite legitimate you know what time does it start where can i watch it that's a useful service kind of journalism it's absolutely i mean it's
1: people. completely agree and with the demise of local media there's fewer places offering those sorts of services right, so i think exactly. it's, i think uh, yeah
0: but the point you raise is a good one as if through chat gpt bad, the new ai tools that are being developed if google decides it's not going to happen and indeed facebook i suppose this applies to as well if they decide they are not going to send the clicks and therefore the ad revenue the way of those publications pr- trying to provide that information that's a huge problem within the media ecosystem
1: it's be? going to create a battle of copyright definitely and i, I
0: but also find out it will have financial implications surely. it will
1: but I, but hopefully it will just encourage a, a sort of evolution whereby the content is all more focused on sort of unique content and high value content rather than that sort of generic content that now can be delivered by the chatbot. Having said that, I mean I I someone I someone still has see to somewhere
0: they... put the information in.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I can't see how there's not a big copyright battle over yeah, yeah You're already seeing it in, in terms of the images and artists suing the AI image provider saying, you trained your machine using my art, you can't get that machine to do art in my style. Well, if that's what the row is of images, what on earth is the row going to be like over the written word and information, particularly when you're talking about things like an exclusive story for example that's been answered very clearly and very obviously by one publication mm. and then bing or chat gpt gives you an answer on its own without linking to that publication it's it's uh I, I presume all over the media industry in the around the world this is a big question that's being asked at the moment is to is to how to combat that and how to deal with it
0: guess who's gonna win as ever it's the lawyers they're always going to do well from these things but uh, you know joking aside about that it is quite you know if you're putting in a very serious piece of work as a journalist and no one ever sees your byline let or goes to the publication you're going to online that one it's quite just just quite dispiriting for a journalist and two it makes it harder really must do to fund that work and yeah I I understand the point you're making about copyright as well because Obviously, if you work for a publication, they own the copyright to your stories. You don't, as a journalist, own the copyright to those stories. And if, you know, Google is just scraping that data through one of its tools, whether it's chat, GPT or something else, that's it it really does have huge copyright implications that uh, I feel this is a kind of one of another in a series of incidents where the kind of tech people, the Silicon Valley people just don't see the other side of what they're doing, you know they're very happy to have the algorithm and the code and these very incredible, very clever tools, but don't understand this is a bit of an exception but don't understand the human bit that has to come before,
1: yeah, I think it's also worth saying that this technology is still very, very yeah. young and very Absolutely. immature, and it's still in testing phase, and what the testing phase is showing for both Google and Microsoft is that there are serious flaws in this technology. To the extent that it's delivering answers that are factually wrong and presenting them as factually correct, and then there's the whole lot of concerns about it, where Bing reveals its secret name is Sydney and says that the <laughs> person's been a bad user and doesn't like people breaking the rules and and gets quite menacing. It's very yeah. Early I've days. seen some
0: quite sinister write-ups of a uh, uh, good old Sydney. Yes. It, yes, it is early days.
1: It but... is early days, but we, we've, all, I mean, we've seen companies like BuzzFeed in the US already CNET. say that they're gonna, they're gonna use ChatGPT to write some content, and that. CNET shares... had to stop
0: doing that because of the mistakes.
1: Yeah, that but happened. the shares, the shares in the company rose like 150 percent that day. And no matter how immature and young that technology is, the clear temptation is there already to use it because. You've seen the reaction to Google uh, and Microsoft shares. They've gone in different directions since the turn of the year because of this. And so given the financial benefits potentially of the technology are are already out there for people to see, it's going to be very difficult to put the, the genie back in the bottle on this, even though it's still really, really early days.
0: Yes. And actually, I did discuss this another time Tom Merrick came on the show a few weeks ago, but things have moved on because we didn't really know about Microsoft's efforts and the incorporation with Bing then. Uh, I think since that show, CNET had to withdraw what it was doing with ChatGPT and AI tools to write some content because it had errors in it, if I'm remembering rightly. it was Some of the content went wrong. And so you, it is very early days, and there's been a bit of a desire to maybe run before we can walk with it in terms of what it can do for the media. But, you know, I, it kind of goes back to my point, actually, about why I think the cream will rise to the top. And I think there'll always be a place for the niche publications, but maybe the more generic stuff will be where there is a problem. Because that's the type of thing that can either get wiped out by chat, you know, automated so people won't be paid to write it so much, or it's just become a bit of a mess through AI tools that are not that developed yet.
1: Well, as a journalist, that's potentially your dream. If you're spending your day Don't working on stories and features rather than sort of writing up writing stories re- on press releases, yeah. there's very few journalists around who would not um not want to um to have the opportunity.
0: Yeah, I, I entirely agree with you. There's so a lot just to sum up, how you know, in a chat GPT style sentence or two, where would you say the media industry is at the moment? How are you feeling as we sort of get fully into twenty twenty three?
1: Uh, that's a broad question uh i would say uh, i'm i'm always an optimist so i think it's very exciting as i said to you earlier i think so many people more than ever uh, are accessing content in the uk and abroad and cross border that's a great that's a great reason for excitement innovation is out there there's a lot of venture capital money still Unallocated, which means there's opportunities for new ventures and and you're seeing some of those like Semaphore, obviously, which has got really ambitious plans.
0: Oh, well done. We haven't mentioned Semaphore for a few weeks. I'm glad you did that. It used to be the first (laughs) five minutes of every show. I'm glad you brought us back to it. Thank you.
1: And so, I mean, we've seen, one of the things I think is really interesting is innovation to come because we've seen innovation in visuals with Netflix. Mm -hmm. We've seen innovation in audio. We haven't actually seen that much innovation in written media and that chat GPT and AI is just sort of one avenue that I think we could see the different industries going down over the next few years. And I think it's a really exciting time for everyone involved in the industry. It doesn't feel like that right now because of the economic conditions and and as we talked about the investment that is being unwind from the COVID period, but there's still lots of opportunities ahead. There's more ways to reach people, and different ways to do it, thanks to the rise of podcast and Substack, which has been an amazing success.
0: Well, thank you for ending on a positive note. I always try and do that. Uh, remind people where they can keep up with all the fantastic stuff you publish.
1: They can sign up to off to lunch, off to And if you are among the 11 million people like me and Charlotte playing fancy Premier League, then you can sign up to Fantasy Game Week at fantasygameweek.substack.com.
0: And you're on Twitter as well, aren't you?
1: Yes, I am. I'm at Graham T. Ruddick on Twitter.
0: Uh, You'll find all those details in the newsletter and show notes. As I will say, I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter. And if you're listening to me on Substack, well, thank you. That means you've probably signed up to the newsletter as well. And I greatly appreciate it. Do share with friends and family who you think are interested. You can also listen to this podcast wherever you normally get shows. And, you know, we don't have exclusive deals with anyone. So you can find me everywhere. Thanks very much for listening. Graham, thank you for joining me and I'll see you all next week.